Greetings, listeners, if any, and welcome to DM Dad, the podcast about running D&D and other RPGs for kids. A great way to spend time with your family now that your friends are too old and have all moved away. So yesterday, um, I got a chance to run some D&D. Um, basically, I am running three different games of Dungeons & Dragons, and that probably sounds like a lot, but uh, these aren't regular games. Some of them are very infrequent. Um, some of them may be even fizzling out. Uh, my original game was the solo game that I run for my daughter. Um, that's a 5e game. Um, technically, that's still going on, but we haven't played that one in a while. The second game I started running was what I refer to as my full group game. So that's for my, my daughter, age 8, um, her two cousins, age 10 and 12, and their dad. And we... We may manage that one about once a month. And then there's uh, the game that I run for my son and my daughter. My son's five. That game is Swords and Wizardry White Box. Um, the full group game is also 5e. And that's what I ran yesterday. We managed to, to sneak in a session. We're running uh, Curse of Strahd. And um, I'm, there's basically going to be spoilers in this discussion, so if, you, if you're playing through Curse of Strahd or you're hoping to play through Curse of Strahd and you don't want spoilers, then uh, you'll probably want to skip this, this episode. Um, but I wanted, to talk about, I wanted to talk about it because um, a couple of things happened in the session that I think are indicative of the way this game is evolving for the group. Um, one of them relates to the players themselves, and one of them relates to the way I'm running it. So we'll start with the players. Um, when I arrived for the session, the 12-year-olds, um, you'll notice, by the way, that I meticulously avoid mentioning any children's names. This is um, kind of standard practice. For people in social media who uh, share things about their kids as we keep their identities private, so we refer to them um, as their age and gender, and we don't give any personal information about them. It's just, it's just a safety thing and protection of privacy. You know, They're not able to consent to have their details shared on social media. So I will not be referring to any of the children in my games by their actual names. So the 12-year-old was, um, she had her headphones on and was listening to some music on her phone. And it occurred to me that as she's getting older, she may start finding this, you know, playing D&D with her family. Uh, she may start getting interested in other things. She may be tuning out of this a bit. When the session started, she was uh, perfectly engaged. Um, she's always been one of the most engaged players. And, you know, a lot of people discover Dungeons and Dragons at age 12 or 13. So in some ways, she's kind of like the primary demographic. 
but it's just something about how you know she was sitting on the sofa with her headphones on being cool that i thought you know i i wonder if i can see the beginning of the end where where this group is going to break up or at least lose a player because she's going to want to as she gets older start spending more time with her own friends um doing things that she perceives are cooler than rolling funny dice with her dad and her younger cousin and their dad. And, you know, like I said, once the session started, she was active and engaged and, uh, and having lots of fun. So probably the time when she drops out is still a ways off, but you know, it's a, it's a thing that you have to, to realize with, with kids and even with adult players, you know, sometimes they lose interest over time. Um, on the other hand, her little brother, the 10-year-old, previously he's been one of the more distractible members of the group. You know, one of the ones with a shorter attention span. And whenever you play a role-playing game with kids, you have to take the varying attention spans into consideration. And it, it can be an issue juggling that because traditionally he would lose interest first and his oldest sister would still want to play. And for instance, if my five-year-old son was around, you know, fifth edition mechanics are still as streamlined as they are. There's still a bit much for him to uh, to cope with, so he doesn't really play. You know, I, I've made him up a little character sheet with a little list of spells on it, and he can cast a spell on his turn. But he's not he's not an active member of the group. And what would happen previously is my son would get distracted and start doing something and then the 10 year old uh, would, would go off and play with him and sometimes another player at the table would have to take over his character or we would just have to call the session off say that that's as much as we're going to get done for today and sometimes there would be a conflict because the 12 year old was still eager to play and this time as expected, my five-year-old got distracted and wandered off to do other things or would come back with like a really loud toy and try to, you know, try to distract us for his own amusement. And instead of leaving the game to go play with him, the 10-year-old was like, you know, be quiet. We're trying to play. Like he wanted to keep playing. This is the first time that he didn't, you know, get distracted and move on to other things he he had the same attention span as his sister i think he's it, it was actually his birthday yesterday and i think he's maybe turned a corner in his attention span and hopefully we can now maybe get a good couple of years before his sister grows out of it i mean i'm an old man and i still haven't grown out of playing DD, so maybe she'll never grow out of it but hopefully we can get a good couple of years at least where all four players you know, can sit down and and be actively engaged in the game for the same amount of time, you know. We could be hitting our stride. So that's some interesting news, you know, or at least I thought it was interesting. And then the other thing um, that relates more to how I run the game. So when I started this group um, a couple of years ago now, we were running Lost Minds of Fandelver. And my daughter had already been playing a solo game that I ran for her for a while now. So she had some experience 
but uh, her two cousins, this was their first time really playing. And, you know, when you run a game for kids, you may want to take a kinder, gentler view of character death than you might for adult players or experienced players. You know, especially considering this was their first time sitting down at the table to play a role-playing game. I thought character death is probably not the best first experience. It wouldn't be the thing that would ideally convince them to keep playing. Some people may disagree with that, you know, but I thought, you know, I'm going to take it easy on them. And in the first encounter, the first combat encounter, a fight with some simple goblins, I was rolling the dice behind the screen, and the goblin rolled a crit. And with that damage, they would have dropped one of the kid's characters to zero, and they'd be making death saving throws. It's fifth edition, so you know you don't die right away. And there was every possibility that they would have made their death saving throws and not died, died, you know, full on died. But I thought this isn't a great first experience with the game, so I fudged it and I changed it to a regular hit. So she took some damage, but she didn't drop to zero, and they defeated the rest of the goblins. And, you know, a couple years later, they're still going strong as, as a party and as, as players. Um, and over the, over the years of, of playing this game, they, they have, they're, very, they're very naturally smart players. They have a lot of really good habits, a lot of really good ideas. Um, some of which they, they seem to have come by naturally, and they've also honed them. So they have a habit, for instance, of, well, they do, they do research and reconnaissance before they enter an area. They talk to NPCs, and they, uh, they try to get as much information. They ask about rumors. If they're doing a dungeon crawl and they find a cache of books and scrolls and stuff, they ask about them. They, they, they try to read them to see if there's any information they need, you know, any, anything useful they can find out. They look for back doors. Um, this one time they were, there was a, a ruined castle that was a goblin hideout. And they skulked around the perimeter looking for a back door and found a back door through careful searching. So they went in the back way and had the, you know, the boss encounter first, basically. So instead, instead of having this boss encounter after having, after a lot of smaller encounters and being low on hit points and low on spells and low on arrows, they had the boss encounter at full health, full spells, full ammunition. And it was, it was still a challenging enough encounter, but, you know, it was much less challenging than it was really designed to be. But that was because they put some extra time into casing the joint. Um, they've got a good track record of it. If there's a back door, they will find a back door. It's one of their preferred methods of operation. And because of this, they have become a very powerful party. And I'm, I'm starting to feel like I'm ready to stop pulling my punches, you know, and to, to let the dice fall where they may. So they're in Curse of Strahd. 
and they have just decided to explore an area called Argenrostholt. It's a ruined mansion that was once the headquarters of um, an army of good guys, an army of good warriors. Strahd sacked it and killed everybody. They, a lot of them are revenants now. And there's other forms of undead, and they've all been kind of twisted by the evil of, the, of, of Barovia and by their desire for revenge and their anger. So they're not nice, they're not friendly undead. And uh, they need to go there. I didn't realize they were going to go there today or, on, or yesterday. Um, and I personally would have preferred that they held back a little bit because it is a very dangerous area. But they know they need to get they know that that's where they're going to find the sun sword, which is a magical sword that can cast sunlight, and they need that to vanquish the vampire Strahd von Zarevich, and they know that's where it's going to be found. So they're going in. And they had a random encounter on the way, and the, uh, the wizard burned magic missile twice, Wizards will only ever get four first-level spell slots per day, so that's two of them down. And then she burned uh, a third first-level spell slot when they reached the mansion, casting Detect Magic. I described for them what they see on their arrival. They see this ruined mansion. One-third of it is crumbled and in ruins. And there's a, a big statue of a dragon with its face pointed towards the front door. And based on that description, they decided they wanted to investigate the statue. They figured there was something funny about it. And they, they investigated it thoroughly, but, you know, there, there's apart from that, it's a statue. And that you can tell by its shape that, it's a, that, it's a, that it was a statue of a silver dragon. That's all they could find out. So then the wizard says, well, I'm going to cast Detect Magic. And therefore she was able to learn that it, it radiates evocation magic. And, you know, by, by putting two and two together, evocation spells are like fireball, you know, um, things that evoke some kind of force or power. And that this is a statue of a silver dragon. She was able to guess that it would shoot cold, and of course its face is pointed right towards the door. So it doesn't take it doesn't take much of a genius for them to figure out that if they go up the front door, that thing's going to breathe cold on them. Now the trap doesn't work, but they don't know that. If they did approach the door, it would breathe harmless cold air on them because the the magic is too weak to breathe the the damaging type of cold. But they don't know that. All they can tell is that it still has a glimmer of evocation magic and its face is pointed right at the door. And they're a cautious party. They're not going in that front door. You know, this is why they are still alive. It's because they have good habits like this. So they do their thing. They case the joint and they look for a back door. Well, the whole, the whole uh, right side of the building is caved in. The wall's gone. There's, there's rubble all over the, the floor, and you can see the whole, the, the all the, the structure and the whole stories. They're all open to the elements. So they go in that way, and they walk into an encounter 
with nine giant spiders. So the wizard burns fireball on her turn, which, you know, takes out a lot of spiders. It clears a lot of the webs. Now they have half the room, which is web-free. It's still difficult terrain, but it's web-free. So they, they set up positions there and use that to attack the remaining spiders. And they one of the spiders decided to escape when there was only one left. I had him run away, and they'll probably have to fight that one later. I may have him return with some extra spiders, you know, or something like that as a little extra surprise. So here's the thing that the first, the, the ground floor, now they're in, they're listening at the doors. We're going to do the rest of the dungeon crawl on the next session because by this time it was time for us to kind of finish up for the day. The first floor isn't so bad, but once you get upstairs, it starts to get really hairy. And there's a lot of undead in this place, and they are hostile. Um, and unlike previous times when they faced a really powerful enemy and found a way to get around most of the encounters designed to drain the resources, they have been draining their resources. They're, they're getting low on spells, so she's got one first level spell left. She luckily has a staff that allows her to cast magic missile without spending, or not magic missile, but mage armor without spending a spell slot. So she's got her mage armor up. But that's it. She can cast magic missile like one more time. And she's already used one third level spell slot, and that's her highest level. She has got two more of those left, so she's still got some. She's still got some stuff up her sleeve, but, you know, if she's not handy, if she's not careful with those spells, she'll run out before they before they reach the big encounter. So, you know, they've surprised me before. Every time I think, oh, this could be the one that kills them, they've, they, they've managed to come out on top. But, you know, once again, I, I know what they're going to have to face when they reach the final encounter in this area. I know what they're going to have to face to get that sun sword. And um, there's a good chance that they're all going to die. And yeah, I'm not going to fudge the rules this time. I'm thinking I'm thinking I'm ready to just I'm going to play this the way that the bad guys would play it, you know. The bad guys have their goals and motivations. They want to win. So they're going to play it and you know, everybody's just going to have to do their best, and they're going to have to uh, retreat if they if they realize they went over their heads. They did warn them. They 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 have found a map. There's like the player's version of the map of Barovia, so it doesn't have the key encounters in. And I gestured to this map and said, "This is a sandbox. You can do anything. You can go anywhere in any order. You determine how you're going to approach." this adventure. It's not like a, a, a set order of things. But that also means that you cannot assume when you enter an encounter that it is scaled for your capabilities. So if you realize you're in over your head, you're going to have to run. And we'll see if that, if that warning is enough or if they have to learn that lesson the hard way. Like I said, they've surprised me before. There was this there was this one area in the, the actual mine in the Lost Mines of Fendelver. 
It had a flame skull, you know, a floating skull wreathed in green magical flame. It has some pretty potent magical abilities. They were actually worried. My daughters read the monster manual front to back, so she was actually worried it was a demiwitch. Um, as they were approaching its area, they could see the flicker of green flames on the wall. So they sent the rogue in there doing a stealth check to, to peek around and see if he could see things. And he managed to see what was in there, and he came back and reported, to, reported it to them, and they decided they did not want to fight that. And they looked for, it was in their way, but they decided that they would search some of the other passages to see if they could find another passage that led to the same place without having to go through that room. And they never, in the end, had that encounter. And that was because, you know, they sneaked up, got some information, and based on what information they gathered, they decided that they would rather not face that adversary. And that's the smart way to play, you know. I know that they were probably they probably would have been capable of defeating that flame skull if they had if they had fought it, but they didn't know that, and they decided that it wasn't worth the risk. That if there was a way, another way, a way to avoid that encounter and get to the same area, that they would just do that, and they did. They made it, and they never had to have that encounter. So, they're smart players. They have good instincts. They have they have good, they've got good gamer minds. So it's as likely as not they'll survive anyway. But if they do, it won't be because I took it easy on them, at least not this time. And I am preparing a plan for what to do in the event of a TPK. If they all die, or even if one of them dies, they've reached a level as characters where it is reasonable for them to find somebody to resurrect resurrect them. But you, that's really only possible if at least one party member survives. You know, if they all die, the bad guys aren't gonna go and get them resurrected. So I've, I've been thinking about how I'm gonna handle a TPK if it comes to that. But anyways, so the, this is how my, my group game, my full group game has been evolving. Um, um, and yeah, it's been very interesting for me running it over the years, how they're changing as players and how my, how, how I, how I choose to run the game is changing, you know, as they grow up, I think they're ready for more challenges and, um, yeah, we'll see how that, we'll see how that goes. I will, uh, I will let you know next time we play a session. Um, how it turns out. I don't think they'll reach the final encounter in the next session either. Because it is a it is a large area and they tend to be pretty meticulous when they explore these areas. So a lot of the stuff on the first floor is, is kind of mood stuff. Um, that'll be a lot of fun, setting mood and things. Um, so yeah, that's that's my week so far in game, um, and I have been working on a sign-off, and I think I've settled on play well and let the dice fall where they may, something like that. Hey, I just uh, listened to that last clip back. Um, I see that there's some kind of high-pitched whine 
going over the top of it. I tried recording directly into the laptop, and I guess that's not a good idea. Um, that was actually my second shot at recording um, this this episode, so I'm not going to try for a third time. I'm just going to leave it up, but I apologize if I made anybody's ears bleed. I'll, uh, I'll revert to doing the phone from now on.